0: Well, uh, there's a good reason that we sang that chorus just now because the theme that we want to consider in God's Word for today's sermon is how we are to honor God and the Bible's answer repeatedly is to glorify His Son. And that is our consideration for today. And just to comment about the atmosphere, I want to give God glory that it's not nearly as hot right now, hot right now as it was at like 7 o'clock this morning when the setup guys were here. So uh, one of our men got on the roof and did something, and those fans are working, so thank God for that. But if, you're, if you can't hear because the fan is too loud, then uh, feel free to shuffle yourself around even as the sermon's going because we want to be able to hear from the Lord. I do think that a hearty chorus of amens and preach and that's right and so it is and things like that would erupt from most any congregation of any denominational or religious stripe from any faith system, Islam, Hindu, Buddhist, Mormon, Jehovah's Witness, Campbellite, Christian, if their minister or cleric or priest or pastor or elder or bishop or apostle or monk or prophet or prophetess were to stand before the people and say, we are here to honor and glorify God. Lots of people would say amen to that. But few, indeed precious few, I get that from Scripture, in fact from the lips of Jesus, know the clear teaching of the Bible concerning how God is to be honored and glorified. One of the greatest collections of Christian theologians in the history of the world convened in 1646 in England to answer this question. What is the chief end of man? And their thoroughly biblical reply, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, many of you know the answer. The chief end of man. The main purpose the reason for the existence of mankind is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Meaning that's why He made you. He made you to glorify Him. He made you to know and to enjoy Him. And if that's true, if that's accurate, then you and I should have a very, very important question in our minds. How? How will God be honored and glorified in our lives? One religion says this, another religion says that. Even within so-called Christendom, false prophets abound, lots of shiny promises for those who will subscribe their, subscribe to their errors and their heresies. The majority world, meaning not the modern West, but I'm thinking south of the equator and east in the hemisphere. The majority world is being carried away to hell under the guise of false religion. And right here in the good old West, there are a lot of religious ones who say yes or amen to bring in God glory. But how will you glorify Him? Well, for a loaded statement, you and I will either honor God on His terms, or we will not honor Him at all. Have you ever considered that it is actually a sin to attempt to honor God on your own terms? You have no secret handshake with God. Isaiah 30, woe to the rebellious children, says the Lord. Who execute a plan that is not mine, who make an alliance but not of my spirit in order to add sin to sin. We only need to ask King Jeroboam of 1 Corinthians 13 fame if God is honored when we worship him, quote, worship him according to our own ways and our own works, when and where and how we so please. God withered the hand of that king, Jeroboam, in the presence of of an assembly when Jeroboam sought to render unto God an unwanted offering. Our entire Hebrews sermon series. Two more left. Looking unto Jesus has really been on a collision course to this sermon. Today's message. I don't think it's an overstatement to say that this passage is really the crux of it all. Today's text is one of those many, many, many places in Scripture where we find God's answer to the question about about how God is to be honored in our hearts and in our lives. How is He to be honored? I invite you to Hebrews 13, verses 20 and 21, to hear the Word of the Lord. Hebrews 13, we'll read verses 20 and 21. Hear the word of the living God. Now the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great Shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant even Jesus our Lord equip you in every good thing to do His will working in us that which is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Father, we ask that as we consider this Word, that You would open our ears, that You would burrow out our ears to be able to hear what the Holy Spirit says to the church. And Lord, we do confess that we're so full of the chaff of the world that we can hardly stomach another bite of something that actually nourishes. But we pray, Lord, that You would forgive us for feasting, at empty tables, and You would now fill us with the truth of Your Word, both in our mind and our heart. Deep in our affections, You would cause us to believe what we hear and respond appropriately. I ask that You would protect my mouth from telling lies, and You would empower me by the Holy Spirit to report what is actually in the text. And we ask this for Your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. There are four things that I want to draw out from this passage, and for those who were here last Sunday, this is part two on those two verses. So uh, last Sunday, we dealt really with verse 20 and how it is the God of peace who works for us in the Gospel of Christ, raising Jesus from the dead, who shed His blood, which this verse calls the blood of the eternal covenant. That's all the work that God did. We didn't do that work. He pursued us in love, giving His Son to be a propitiation for our sins. And today's focus is really verse 21, how God working through Jesus Christ, now here's our answer, to whom belongs the glory forever and ever. Honor God by glorifying His Son. And the four things we want to draw out begin with this consideration. There is only one God. The triune God. Look carefully at verse 20 and 21. The beginning of verse 20, you see the God of peace. Now the Bible doesn't have space filler. The Holy Spirit's not trying to make His book longer. Every word matters. And the Holy Spirit could have said, now, God the Father. That's not what He said. He said, the God of peace. He's telling us something of the nature of the God who is. But the text explicitly mentions another person of the Triune Godhead. God the Son. In verse 21, equip you in every good thing to do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ. So now we have God the Father, the God of peace, and now we have God the Son, Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now I want your eyes to fix on that little phrase, to whom be the glory. Forever and ever. Is this verse instructing us that the antecedent, when you go back to the to whom, well, answer the question. Who is the to whom? Is it God the Father? Verse 20, the God of peace who raised Jesus from the dead. Or is it God the Son, Jesus Christ, through whom the Father works in our lives that is to be glorified forever and ever. Well, before we set up false dichotomies and start playing favorites within persons of the Trinity, The answer is yes, God. You see, there are not three gods, or ten, or twelve. Our first point is there is only one God. He is the triune God. So let us begin by reminding ourselves of the mind-blowing basics. Our finite little pea brains cannot fully conceive all that He is. We can accurately, though not exhaustively, know Him, but He has been pleased to let us know that the God who is, is triune. I do not assume that everyone here, when we use the word God, or the name or title God, is conceiving of the same God about whom I now speak. So there's two things I want to say about God for our first point. The point captures in both, there is only one God, the triune God. First, there's only one God. I do not mean that there is one God for Christians and another God for Muslims. One God for North Africans and one God for East Asians. I do not believe, and we do not mean, and we do not embrace, and we absolutely repudiate the idea that there is a God For Islam and a God for the Hindus and a God for the Christians, and we just all happen to be marching up the mountain on different pathways. There is one and only one true God. Hear, O Israel, Deuteronomy 6, the Lord is one. In Mark chapter 12, when the scribes came to ask Jesus their trick question, what is the greatest commandment. Jesus did not begin by saying the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He did say that. That's not how He began. In fact, in Mark chapter 12, verse 29, when the scribes said, what is the foremost commandment of all? Jesus said, quoting Deuteronomy, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Lord and you shall love the Lord your God he wanted us to know the God that is so that we can know the God that we are to love so when we talk about honoring God we've got to begin with this affirmation I don't know if you're here yet theologically I'm not asking philosophical questions about whether or not you're in the room I'm, I'm asking I don't know if your theology has yet crystallized with the truth of scripture And today, God's brought you here to take one more step toward Jesus. Okay, wherever you are, move toward Christ. But we are unabashed monotheists. There is only one God. The sermon title is Honoring God by Glorifying His Son. The Lord our God is one. The second thing I want to say about that truth is the one God is triune. In our sermon text, I've already noted verse 20 and 21, two of the three persons of the Trinity are explicitly named God of peace, Jesus Christ. And the third person of the Trinity is the one who wrote the sentence the God of peace, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit. Hebrews has so much to say about what some call the shy person of the Trinity. He's not shy in the sense that we uh, think of shyness usually, but the Holy Spirit loves to deflect attention away from Himself. But the Holy Spirit who inspired the book of Hebrews as well as all the other 65 books of the Bible is explicitly mentioned in Hebrews. Chapter 2, verse 4. Chapter 6, verse 4. Chapter 10. Chapter 3, verse 7. Chapter 9, verse 8. The Holy Spirit inspiring the Word of God. The Holy Spirit applying the truth to our souls particularly the Gospel. So I'm simply trying to emphasize that there is one God, and the one God is triune, and that triune God is not three gods. Three persons, one God, one nature. Matthew 28, Jesus after He rose from the dead gave His final instructions, marching orders to the church, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name. singular of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God. Three persons. Second Corinthians 13. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. One God. Three persons. First Peter 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of The Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with His blood. One God, three persons. We could go on with so many other texts that teach us about the Trinity. And I wonder if you've thought lately about the Trinity in a way that moved your heart to praise. Now, there's a firestorm going on on the evangelical internet waves this week concerning the triune Godhead. And some of the key players of evangelical scholarship from across continents have weighed in. So I don't know if I've read three or four or five hours worth of interchange just this week about the persons of the Trinity and how the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit relate to one another. But your favorite systematic theology professors and your college and seminary presidents and so on and so forth have weighed in on this discussion and it is a very big deal. And instead of citing anybody from today... I want to cite the uh, disciples of Athanasius. Athanasius did not write the Athanasian Creed, but uh, they were well influenced by Athanasius. And the Athanasian Creed says, and I dare you to listen carefully, whosoever will be saved, before all things it is necessary that he hold to the Catholic faith. Catholic meaning universal. Not Catholic church as in Catholicism, but universal. The one faith. Jude, verse 4, the faith that is once for all delivered to the saints. Whosoever will be saved, before all things, it is necessary that he hold to the Catholic faith. Athanasian Creed, buckle your seatbelt. Which faith, except everyone do keep whole and undefiled, without doubt he shall perish everlastingly. And the Catholic faith is this that we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity, neither confounding the persons nor dividing the substance. For there is one person of the Father, another of the Son, another of the Holy Spirit, but the Godhead of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit is all one. The glory equal. The majesty co-eternal. Such as the Father is, such as the Son, and such is the Holy Spirit. The Father uncreated. The Son uncreated. The Holy Spirit uncreated. The Father incomprehensible. The Son incomprehensible. The Holy Spirit incomprehensible. The Father eternal. The Son eternal. The Holy Spirit eternal. Yet they are not three eternals, but one eternal. And there are not three uncreated. Nor three incomprehensible. But one uncreated. One incomprehensible. So likewise, the Father is Almighty. The Son is Almighty. The Holy Spirit is Almighty. Yet there are not three Almighties, But one Almighty. The Father is God. The Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. Yet there are not three gods, but one God. So likewise, the Father is Lord. The Son is Lord. The Holy Spirit is Lord. Yet there are not three Lord's. But one, Lord, for like as we are compelled by Christian verity to acknowledge every person by himself to be God and Lord, so we are forbidden by Catholic religion to say there are three gods or three lords. The Father is made of none, neither created nor begotten. The Son is of the Father alone, not made or created, but begotten. The Holy Spirit is of the Father and of the Son, neither made nor created, but begotten. Begotten nor begotten, but proceeding. So there is one Father, not three fathers. One Son, not three sons. One Holy Spirit, not three Holy Spirits. And in this Trinity, none is afore or after another. None is greater or less than another. But the whole three persons are co-eternal and co-equal so that in all things, as aforesaid, the unity in Trinity and the Trinity in unity is to be worshipped. He therefore that will be saved must thus think of the Trinity. Have you thought of the Trinity lately? When we talk about honoring God by glorifying His Son, we're talking about the one God who is triune. Our second point is that the triune God who is is a jealous God. But he is not jealous of the other persons of the Trinity. Deep into the swimming pool, let's go. Our sermon text tells us clearly in verse 21 To whom belongs the glory forever and ever. Amen. Okay, now we got to start answering objects. We began today's sermon by saying that pretty much any religious person of any denominational or faith system stripe who adheres to any sort of anything out there that would be conceived of as religious would give a hearty amen to this sentence. To God belongs the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. I'm not asking if you say amen to that. I'm asking how you say amen to that. Baal worshippers. Old Testament. Greek goddess worshippers. The intertestamental and New Testament period. Prostitutes in the temple in the city of Corinth would all say amen to the statement, glory belongs to God. So how do we know that we're not duped just like all of them? How do we know that we're worshiping the one true God? Our verse actually specifies how God is to be glorified. Do not miss this point, and this is not hyperbole. This is the difference between heaven and hell. Verse 21, the God of peace is working in us through Jesus Christ to whom belongs the glory forever and ever. We've got to break this down. We've got to understand how to worship God on God's terms in order to to know for sure that we are worshiping the one true God. Not some tribal deity. We're not looking for the American Jesus. We're looking for Jesus. Not the God of our own imagination. We do not get to make this up as we go. We must pay heed. I cited earlier Isaiah 30, verse 1. Let me cite it again and add verse 2. God says, woe to the rebellious children, declares the Lord, who execute a plan, but not mine, who make an alliance, but not of my Holy Spirit, in order to add sin to sin, who proceed down to Egypt without consulting me. Don't you think it would behoove us to ask God? How? majesty on high, do you demand to be praised? We either know and honor God on His terms or not at all. There are two things we want to draw out for this point. I said it earlier. Here it is again. The triune God is a jealous God, but He is not jealous of the other persons of the Trinity. Let's take that in two parts. God is a jealous God. Exodus thirty-four, fourteen: For you shall not worship any other god. For the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. You shall not worship any other small g God. For the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. There is only one God. The one God who is, is triune. But we also find in Scripture that the triune God is a jealous God. God not only desires your worship, He not only deserves your worship, He Demands it. He is God. Worship God according to His command and live. Worship according to our own whims and preferences or anything or worship anyone else and perish. Isaiah 1 couldn't be more clear about this. God says to a worshiping people, bring your worthless offerings no longer. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath, the calling of assemblies, I cannot endure iniquity in the solemn assembly. I hate your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. So when you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Yes, even though you multiply prayers, I will not listen. I again reiterate, worship God according to His command and live. Worship anything or anyone else and perish. We've considered that God is a jealous God under this point. Now let's think about the reality that the triune God in verses 20 and 21, though a jealous God, is not jealous of the other persons of the Trinity. God, in his triunity, has given us directions for how we are to praise him. So let's ask some questions in our praises unto God, are we to aim at equity across the persons of the Trinity? Right? You gave one of your children yesterday a treat. Now you owe it to the other kid lest things be unequal. Sister got such and such at such an age, so younger sister at such an age gets such and such. Is that the way we divide our praise? Are we to aim at equity across the persons of the Trinity so that one of them not be slighted? Shall we divide our worship between the Spirit, the Son, and the Father? And then reverse the order Father, Son, and Spirit? So as not to provoke envy among the persons of the Trinity? Shall we distribute our attention in adoration so as to pacify the persons of the potentate of heaven? Is it God-honoring to render praise to the Father? Apart from the work and righteousness of the Son. Devoid of the enabling power of the Holy Spirit. No. God the Father is rightly honored as we praise Him through the Son in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the Christian faith. Look at Hebrews 13 again and go back up to verse 15. Through Him then, let us continually offer a sacrifice of praise to God. Do you see it? Through Jesus, always be praising God. I take that to mean, yes, the Father, but certainly the triune God. That's the evidence that the Holy Spirit's at work in our life. That we praise the one God who is according to the directive of God. Now that's verse 15. Notice that we praise God, verse 15, through Jesus Christ. But notice verse 21. That God the Father is working in our lives, but He's not bypassing Jesus to do so. Verse 21, He is equipping us and working in us through Jesus Christ. To whom be the glory forever and ever. Every real access to God must pass through Jesus. And trust me, you never want God to deal with you apart from the work and righteousness of Christ. Every work of God that is gracious comes to you through the Son. All of which is empowered by the person of the Holy Spirit. I can think of nothing more vital for true Christian worship than this. Indeed, biblically, trust me, I've looked at way more verses than I should cite in this sermon in preparation. This is not a way to know that our praise is God-honoring. This is the way to know that our praise is God-honoring. The Father is not jealous if you render glory to His Son. In fact, He is honored appropriately if you and I aim at glorifying His name by glorifying His Son. A few brothers in the church have been helping me meditate for weeks on this text in preparation for this sermon. And this week, I received from Corey Henry these words. Wonderful texts. Ezekiel 3.12 Ezekiel 43.5 Acts 7.55 2 Corinthians 3.18 All together, the glory of the Spirit in the unveiling of the glory of God in the face of Christ he adds, 2 Corinthians 3, 7-11 tells us of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And then he adds, 1 Peter 4.14, the Spirit of glory and of God is at work in us. Three exclamation points. <laughs> he then adds, Corey writes, there is not some kind of divine competition. It is the glory of God the Holy Spirit to unveil the glory of God the Son to the glory of God the Father. It is remarkable, Corey writes, to meditate on the eternality of this union. Amen to that statement. The Spirit unveiling to God the Father. The glory of God the Son. To the glory of all three persons. A majestic cohesion. The Spirit reflects The Father's glory back to Himself in the face of His Son. That's John 17. That's 2 Corinthians 4. That's 2 Corinthians 3. That's the book of Revelation. Hunter Coy also wrote to me Friday morning. These are text messages, by the way. I'm not a big fan of long text messages, but I like these. Hunter writes, Matthew 16, 27, for the Son of Man, Jesus is going to come in the glory of His Father with His angels and will then repay every man according to his deeds. Hunter writes, the Lord Jesus is coming in the glory of His Father. To see the glory of the Father, it must be by seeing the glory of the Son. At his baptism, Hunter writes, The Spirit descends down on the Lord Jesus, at which the Father declares his love and his pleasure for his sons. All three, his son, all three persons of the Trinity are involved. And then Hunter points out from Michael Reed's wonderful book, On the Bookstall, Delighting in the Trinity. Quote the Spirit stirs up the delight of the Father in the Son and the delight of the Son in the Father inflaming their love and so binding them together in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Now I just put copy, paste, print. I didn't do any formatting. And Jonathan Edwards' essay on the Trinity is nine pages long. I highly recommend to you that meditation on the Trinity. Luke 10.21, Jesus rejoices greatly in the Holy Spirit as Jesus gives praise to the Father. This is how God worships God. John 14.26, the Father sends the Holy Spirit to teach and bring to remembrance what? The things of Christ. John 15.26, the Helper, the Spirit of Truth proceeds from the Father and the Son. Why? To testify about Jesus. Jesus. Do these things matter to you? Oh friends, this is the Christian faith. Nothing should matter more. For true salvation is twofold. Being bought and being brought. You are bought by the blood of Jesus in order to be brought into the everlasting enjoyment of God. Which God has always enjoyed. And that's why I say we've been on a collision course to this sermon text since chapter 1, verse 1. This is the Christian faith. This is why there's a mediator between God and men, the high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. The book of Hebrews unfolds the majesty of His priesthood. His ongoing intercession. His present session for us. At the right hand of the Father. His seatedness at the right hand of the majesty on high. Hebrews 8.1 says, now the main point is this. We have such a high priest who has taken His seat at the right hand of the majesty in the heavens. A minister in the true tabernacle. That's the point that Jesus brings us all the way in to God's own enjoyment of God. If you don't want that, then you don't want anything that has anything to do with true Christianity. Which leads us to our third point. First, there is one God who is triune. Second. The one triune God is a jealous God, but He is not jealous of the other persons of the Trinity. Third, God is greatly glorified. I want to say it again. God is greatly glorified. God is greatly glorified. If that doesn't fill your bucket, you have a hole in the bottom of it. God is greatly glorified. God is greatly glorified when His Son receives The glory. Far from being jealous. Not a shred of envy. Never at all to one iota feeling slighted. When God the Son is glorified, no, no, no. Instead, God the Father is rightly honored and exuberated with joy. That's the point of verse 21. The to whom has its antecedent in God the Son. i got a stack of books on my floor this high. Some of the guys in the church were over at my house this week and they can testify to it. And every one of those commentaries agree with what I'm telling you. Verse 21. God of peace did the Gospel work in Jesus for our souls. He now shepherds us forever. That same God of peace, the Father is working in us. He is equipping us. He's doing it all through Jesus Christ. To whom belongs the glory forever and ever. But we can't build all our theology on one verse of the Bible. That's where heresies come from. So we got to figure out what this means. How? Everybody's going to say, "Glory be to God. How? How? Through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory forever and ever amen. That's why Horatius Benar. 1866 wrote the words of this hymn, Glory be to God the Father, Glory be to God the Son, Glory be to God the Spirit, Great Jehovah three in one. Glory, 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 While eternal ages run. That's verse 1. All the subsequent verses are about God the Son. Every one of them. Let me just read you one of those. It's the next one. Glory be to Him who loved us, washed us from each spot and stain. Glory be to Him who bought us, made us kings with Him to reign. Glory, 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 glory to the Lamb that once was slain. This is biblical. This is Christianity. The Bible is so meticulously clear on this point. The way, not a way. The way to know that your worship honors God is by glorifying his Son. Demons don't tremble when I say God. They tremble when I say Jesus Christ is Lord. Philippians 2 9 through 11. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is biblical. That's why we say around here that Grace Church's reason for existence is glorify, treasure, spread. That's not novel. We're not trying to be cool. We don't want taglines. We believe that any Christian in any place, in any time, exists for that reason. Every church, therefore, should exist for that reason glorify, treasure, spread. I'll die for those conjunctions that put those words together. Glorify God by treasuring Jesus Christ and spreading His eternal joy. That's the heart of Christianity. Those conjunctions are of of eternal consequence. I believe that's the very work that the Triune God has Himself been about for all eternity before a shred of the Bible was written, before a blade of grass ever sprouted from the earth, before the earth itself was flung into existence. I believe God Himself has been glorifying Himself by valuing His Son in the power of the Holy Spirit sharing the joy that He has in His own self-sufficient triunity. And later, He was pleased to spill over in creation and redemption. Why? So that we could join God in what God has been doing for all eternity. Not only is God... Let me say it better. Not only is it not inappropriate to render your praise to God by giving glory to His Son, it is biblically prescribed that you praise the triune God this way. Colossians 3. Whatever you do. Like literally. Whatever you ever do. Anything that you ever do, do it this way. Colossians 3.17 In the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. That's the Christian life. The whole book of Hebrews is summed up in chapter 12, verse 2. Looking unto Jesus. That's the point. Daniel 7. Who gets dominion and glory and a kingdom? Answer, the Son of Man. The Ancient of Days. The book of Revelation is a portrait of heavenly praise. How many worship scenes do we find in the book of Revelation? And to whom is the praise directed? I like the way that one missionary in uh, not-to-be-named-on-recording-place in South Asia said, Revelation is see the Father, Son. See God's Son. See the Son. You see God in Jesus. In the book of Revelation, all the praise is rendered to the Lamb. The triune God is glorified as an endless sea of nameless and faceless worshipers. That's you. Meaning it's not about us. It's about another one whose face does stand out in the crowd. Who is that one? An endless sea of worshipers in the book of Revelation, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, render their praise to the Lamb. Revelation confirms that the one person of the Trinity that you and I will ever see whose face reflects the glory of the Father through the illuminating power of the Holy Spirit is God the Son. You'll never see God the Father. John 4. God is Spirit you'll never see the Holy Spirit. Yes, you will. If you had seen Me, says the Lord Jesus, you have seen the Father. So yes. God the Father is not frustrated when we exalt His Son. He's filled with joy. So yes. We exist. I wonder if this is the statement of your passion. We exist to glorify God. Don't put amen after that. Answer how. Would you die for these conjunctions? We exist to glorify God by treasuring Jesus Christ and spreading His eternal joy. Whose? His. Like the one true God. Not just Jesus's, not just the Father's God's eternal joy. John 5.23 He who does not honor the Son says the Lord Jesus does not honor the Father who sent Him. Period. Hebrews 13, 20 and 21, the God who equips us, the God who works in us through the Lord Jesus, indeed, God the Father, who according to our text, has raised from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep, that is, after that great shepherd laid down His life in place of the sheep through covenant blood, righteous sufficient offering for sinners like you and I then raised to death raised from the dead alive forevermore for our redemption is to be glorified to the glory of the one true god and that is to happen for a particular duration forever and ever amen our fourth and final point we hadn't really gone to the deep end of the pool until now, here we are. Not only is God honored by glorifying His Son, that's the title of the sermon, but I'd be remiss if I didn't try to flirt with things beyond me, giving an opening to your sanctified imagination to go deep, deep down into Scripture, into the well that I'm going to try to crack. Fourth and finally, we are to glorify Jesus to the glory of God until the end of all things when Jesus will hand everything over to the Father and the triune God will then be all in all. Go with me here. I've just got a few thoughts in the notes and it will be worth your attention. One of the deepest, deepest fountains in the whole Bible is 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty-eight, where we find these breathtaking words when all things are subjected to Him, that's Jesus, then the Son Himself will also be subjected to the One, God the Father, who subjected all things to Him, Jesus, so that God, it doesn't say Father, God the Triune may be all in all. That's God's design. God is very happy about that design. What in the world does that mean? It means that until the end of all things, until the eschaton, until the age to come, Hebrews 2. Psalm 8. 1 Corinthians 15. Ephesians 1. Everything in heaven, on earth, under the earth. Everything visible. Everything invisible. Every throne. Every ruler. Every nation. Every person. Every animal. Every planet. Everything is subjected to God the Son. Everything. Everything. Until Jesus subjects everything, 1 Corinthians 15-28, including Himself, to the Father, so that the triune God will be all in all. I don't know if you kept up with any of that evangelical firestorm on the internet about the Trinity that I mentioned a moment ago, but there's one thing that everybody in there is agreeing on. There's no debate about this you are making no mistake to glorify God the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit to the glory of God the Father. Everybody agrees on that. But if you insist on praising one person of the triune God to the exclusion of the other persons, or you're a thoughtless Christian, yes, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. No, that's not all the Bible has to say about that. Colossians 1, Hebrews 1, John 1, the Lord Jesus made all that. If you want to think generically about God, Christianity is not for you. If you insist on praising one person of the triune God, whoever your favorite happens to be, your flavor of the day, to the exclusion of the other persons, there is no biblical ground upon which you may be confident to know that you're actually praising the God of the Bible and not a God who's a figment of your own imagination. In fact, yours could be comparable to the gods of those pagan nations that surrounded Israel in the Old Testament. Yours could be the God of Isaiah 42 and following, who's impotent to save. Doesn't it sound foolish that a man in Isaiah would take a log of wood, cut it in half, this end, he would make a fire to warm himself, and with this end, he would make an idol to worship. How foolish is that? But you see, idolatry is not only making something your God, idolatry is also making God something other than He is. To the degree though that you are empowered by the Holy Spirit, you will know it. Because to that same degree, your devotion will be directed to God the Son. That's the Holy Spirit's vocation. And to the degree you're empowered by the Holy Spirit, and your devotion is directed to God the Son, in whose face you behold the breathtaking glory of God the Father, to that degree your worship is truly Christian. In that way, and insofar as that God is the object of your praise. To whom, verse 21, belongs the glory forever and ever, amen. To that end, you can be biblically certain that you are worshiping the one true God in a way that honors Him. So here's the application. Number one and number two. Number one for the Christian. Honor God by glorifying His Son. That's it. Figure that out. Glorify His Son and then glorify His Son again. Because Revelation 4.11 is true. He's worthy. To those who are not yet Christians, I say that on purpose because I've already prayed for you. I like what one of my believing friends said in college to another pagan believing friend. You might as well stop running. I'm already praying for you. (laughs) Just like the, the crook can't outrun the police radio, you can't outrun the long arm of God. So those who are not yet Christian, I don't want to call you a non-Christian, I want to call you a soon-to-be-one. Won't you repent from the deep sin of self-centeredness that praise is dictated and determined by the self-deified me? Won't you repent from that deep, deep sin of self-centeredness and throw yourselves on the mercy of Christ, who died for all your sins, including all your illicit worship, and who rose again from the dead to reconcile you forever to this God. That's the application. Like genuine conversion. Being truly born again right here. Right now. Now the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great, Shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we confess that it is the Jesus who stepped out of the portals of eternity past, and by the Holy Spirit's power was conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary who lived a life of righteousness before Your face, honoring You both word and deed and down deep in His intentions and affections, who was tacked to a cross outside the city of Jerusalem as a sacrifice for our sins, and who has victoriously been raised from the dead as Lord forevermore, we confess that Jesus who was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, that Jesus that You highly exalted, that Jesus who is Lord of heaven and earth, we confess He is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Thank You, Holy Spirit, for allowing us to say Jesus is Lord. For except by the Holy Spirit, no one can say Jesus is Lord. Oh, we love You, Triune God. And we do want our life now and forevermore to be devoted to You and to honor You by glorifying Your Son.